Welcome to the Pod the Lab Invertebrate Biology Series. This podcast series is designed to help you explore the diversity and role of invertebrate life on this planet. You'll meet researchers from the School of Biological, Earth and Environmental Sciences and invertebrate curators from Australian museums. Today's episode is with Dr. Sue Ann Watson from the Museum of Tropical Queensland and we're talking about ocean acidification. Uh, we haven't talked a lot about acidification, but your lecture did, a lot of your research and your work is in acidification. But could you give the students just a quick like run over of what acidif- ocean acidification is and why it's a challenge for marine invertebrates? For sure. So obviously carbon dioxide from you know, deforestation and particularly burning fossil fuels is going into our atmosphere. So the oceans do a really good service to us for terrestrial folk or land, our species. And because they absorb about a third of all that carbon dioxide that we have emitted in the last 250 years or so, if they didn't, then we would be much warmer on Earth, um, on land. But what happens is that that carbon dioxide reacts with seawater to form carbonic acid, which is the same acid that you get when you have carbon dioxide in your fizzy water or your soft drinks. Um, And so... Because seawater is more acidic than it used to be, and we can measure that, so over the last 100 or so years, we actually see that decline in pH, which means it's becoming more acidic. It's becoming more difficult for animals to form their shells and skeletons, so obviously particularly marine invertebrates, which are dependent often on calcium carbonate production for their shells and skeletons. Um, Yeah, it's becoming more difficult for them to form and also more difficult for the shells and skeletons to persist. And at the same time, we've recently discovered that it's also changing behaviour. So it's changing behaviour in fish and also in marine invertebrates. So um, we're finding that the, the way that they balance the, um, they regulate the physiology of their bodies, um, they change um, the way that ions pass across certain neurotransmitters in their brains and instead of not doing a behavior that would be bad they do it so it becomes it goes from just inhibitory to an excitatory neurotransmitter response and that's what causes the differences in behavior and makes animals behave in unexpected ways so for marine invertebrates invertebrates in particular they have this double problem of not only it being more difficult to make their shells and skeletons but also they have these behavioural changes. So actually finding that ocean acidification, yeah, is, is potentially more of a problem than we previously thought. Yeah. Um, James, you've got a good question here for Sue-Anne. Um, so what can be learnt about ocean acidification from past acidification events and previous invertebrate extinctions? Yeah, so that's a good question. I mean, we have had many you know, five mass extinctions before on Earth. Um, and, you know, we can look back at where ocean acidification um, has been a problem. Um, and when we do that, we see that, you know, those are linked with these kind of really massive 90 plus percent of species on Earth go extinct, extinctions. Um, and then what's interesting is that actually if we compare the current rate of change in carbon dioxide in our atmosphere and in the oceans with those kind of extinctions, we see that we're doing this many orders of magnitude faster. So I guess what we can learn is that, yes, it's, you know, ocean acidification, it it is bad. We lose most of the species. They do come back. 
and that could be what we're going to do now but also I think we're doing it so much faster that those impacts could be worse you know either for the amount that we lose or perhaps if we you know can curb some of our emissions just the effects on ecosystems that we see because of this rapid rate of change that um, makes it really hard for animals to try to adapt you know to, to adapt to these changes um, because of the you know, just the time the generation time that it takes for reproduction. Um, some invertebrate groups are more susceptible to the impacts of, of ocean acidification but then the responses you see across different invertebrate groups is is different. All right, can you explain that again to the students? Yeah, so actually we have sort of like crustaceans tend to be reasonably tolerant, um, whereas mollusks tend to be pretty susceptible. So we do have these differences um, among invertebrate groups, and this uh, is likely to do with aspects of their physiology and the way they make their, any, any kind of calcium carbonate shell or skeleton. Um, and that's probably like from the phys physiological type and shell production side of things. We haven't looked into behaviour so much yet. That's more of a growing field. We certainly know that mollusks are susceptible. We're starting to see behavioural changes in um, you know, urchins, so echinoderms, uh, and... Um, and also in some crustaceans as well. So there, yeah, there are definitely differences on physiological and behavioural bases, bases. But I guess the problem really is that because we're seeing so many changes uh, across so many different, you know, taxa, so phyla and also um, species, predicting how ecosystem function is likely to be in future with continued ocean acidification is really tricky. So, for example, maybe crustaceans are a little bit more tolerant to physiological aspects, but as we do more behaviour studies, maybe we'll find that some aspects of their behaviour are particularly susceptible or not. We might have ecosystems that have lots of crustaceans, but really trying to figure that out is, is um, really, yeah, is really tricky. And I guess, you know, is that the best use of research efforts at the moment or should we just really be trying to encourage people to, yeah, Move beyond yeah. uh, our, our organism this week is echinoderms, and you mentioned that echinoderms may be more susceptible. Can you explain that a bit more, maybe in the context of the biology of echinoderms? Um, well, we, we, I don't, so we're actually seeing new behavioral changes in sea urchins that we sort of. We started the work in mollusks and we hadn't done so much in echinoderms. Um, I think that maybe they're a little bit more tolerant than mollusks. Maybe they sit somewhere there. Um, like we go for behaviour that might be less susceptible to changes. But actually in terms of their physiology, particularly in their larval phases, lots of people have done work on acidification and the impacts, including in Sam's DuPont's lab in Sweden. And so I think you know, for some reason the kind of um, larval stages, you know, like the, the mollusk um, larval stages as well, you know, it's such a vulnerable stage. The organism is so small and such a large amount of, of its energy and resources are going into trying to secrete calcium carbonate. So potentially you know, that could be a reason why they, they are vulnerable. Although, of course, 
you have such a diverse range of echinoderms that you know you can go for sea cucumbers which don't really make that much calcium carbonate well or it's you know pencil urchins does actually have quite quite a large calcium carbonate um test yeah so i think among them we probably will see differences there um because of their modes of life and i noticed actually someone had been in the chat um to ask about echinoderms in the deep sea ecosystems it's kind of a mode of life thing, I think. And because many echinoderms like sea cucumbers in particular, which are really abundant in deep sea ecosystems and do really well, have these kind of like soft, squishy bodies. So they are able to tolerate immense pressures much better than organisms that, um, yeah, have, have, I guess, more rigid bodies. Um, and their mode of life where they kind of crawl along on the sea floor means that they can collect any kind of food that's rained down from the surface oceans, which can be really sparse in the deep sea, it's generally considered a food poor environment. But because they don't really swim around or move around quickly, they have low energy lifestyles, they can just kind of vacuum up the detritus from the sea floor. And so that kind of mode of life that echinoderms exhibit tends to be one that's favoured in the deep sea. Nice. Thanks so much. Um, we'll we'll let you go, Sue Ann. Thanks so much. Good luck at the museum. Hopefully Thank we'll you. see you soon. Yeah, all right. Good to see you. Thanks. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Pod the Lab Invertebrate Biology Series podcast. For any more information regarding the content in this course, please email me at tracy.ainsworth at unsw.edu.au.